unhealthy attachment styles in relationships can really manifest. This is a really concerning behavior. A person who was experiencing trauma is more susceptible to like, isolating from other people and detaching from those loved ones. And trauma can really impact how you attach or bond in relationships. I'm Leon Guidry, and this is the Brother Be Well podcast, sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Today, we're addressing trauma and healing with an emphasis on boys and men of color. It's about to get real with our hosts, experts, and guests. Gather around, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. Today, in one of a series of Brother Be Well conversations on trauma and healing, made possible by the support of Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative, we're talking about the myriad of behaviors that are often associated with unresolved trauma. Trauma is something that's not to be ignored. As we've addressed in other podcasts in this series, it can cause a host of serious mental and physical health problems. As we'll discuss today, unresolved trauma can also lead to a number of self-destructive behaviors that you'll want to avoid and that can signal that you or a loved one may be struggling. To help us unpack a whole lot of information in a short period of time, we've got marriage and family therapist and Brother Be Well clinical advisor, Christian Jacobs with us. Christian, welcome back to Brother Be Well. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me back. Really good to be here. Let's get right at this, if you don't mind, sir. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm ready. Start start (laughs) us out, man. Describe or define, rather, trauma for the Brother Be Well family. For me, looking back, I used to think of trauma as a blunt force to, to the head, a physical trauma. But talk about frame trauma for us through that mental health lens for our discussion today. Sure. You know, um, and and actually, absolutely, um, you're correct. That is one form of, you know, trauma is, you know, the physical um, blunt force trauma, uh, car accidents, things of that sort. Um, But trauma is also defined uh, initially, you know, um, as an emotional uh, and psychological response to a traumatic event, you know, such as violence, um, racism, as we talked about in the past, uh, being involved um, and witnessing school shootings. So that's also a, a, a new phenomenon in terms of experiencing trauma, car accidents, domestic violence, um, sexual abuse, rape. You know, a person experiencing, you know, de- um, delayed, uh, really de- that delayed shock in denial after the traumatic event is really common as well. So that's why a lot of times there's um, a diagnosis when we're looking at um, PTSD is how long it's been prevalent for. And if it's you know, longer than a month, because sometimes it takes a while to really develop. And uh, also trauma can uh, occur from direct exposure. Uh, This is something else that people uh, may not be aware of is that trauma occurs either from direct exposure, you know, witnessing the trauma. So it it may not have happened to you, but you witnessed it. You've seen it with your own eyes. And also uh, the fact that trauma can occur not even from you um, seeing it, but learning that a close friend or family was exposed to it as well. So just by hearing about it or hearing the story of someone kind of explain to you, you know, what happened to uh, grandma, you know, in the home um, before she passed away, you know, indirect exposure is what it's called. Um, And even direct exposure, such as something being connected to your job, such as being a firefighter or, you know, police officers and things, uh, that's sort of what they see on a day-to-day basis. It's interesting, Christian, I'm learning that often signs of trauma and recognizing them can be challenging. Sometimes people who are having difficulties enter therapy even. We've talked about this before without really knowing that they've suffered the very trauma that's causing a disruption or holding them back in their daily life. As a, as a marriage and family therapist, if you don't mind, can you, can you, have you seen that among the people that you've treated? 
Yes, it's, it's very common, actually, Michael. Um, you know, recognizing the signs of trauma can really be tricky, you know, because the symptoms can be delayed, as I was saying before, you know, several months after the incident occurred, you know, or what um, what I see in, in, in everyday practice is um, a person comes into therapy, you know, for one issue, and then, you know, you're working through that issue and the presenting problem, you think you have, you know, a good understanding of what's going on, and then all of a sudden, maybe three months down the road, a client is triggered by a traumatic unrelated event that was uh, unresolved. So now you're looking at, you know, um, uh, several layers of, of, um, of healing that you're, that you're facing in terms of treatment. So as a, a therapist, the heavy lift really comes, you know, in sessions where you need to, um, A, really assess whether or not um, they're, in the, they're in that denial stage of the trauma, right? You know, they're not really accepting it. They uh, may not um, see that, you know, what happened was, you know, was traumatic. And B, once they really accepted it, you know, uh, working with them to process that trauma and see how, it's, um, how it really has impacted their daily life. So now you have to go back with them, you know, and, and meet them where they are in terms of seeing how now that you're aware of what's happened, how has this affected you in your last, you know, 10, 20, 30 plus years? I'm going to quote as we as we move through this conversation, Christian, I'm going to quote another respected uh, mental health professional just like you. His name is Dr. Peter A. Levine. He's treated and researched trauma for over 50 years now. This is a quote from him. The effects of unresolved trauma can be devastating. It can affect our habits and outlook on life, leading to addictions and poor decision making. It can take a toll on our family life and interpersonal relationships. It can trigger real physical pain, symptoms, and disease, and it can lead to a range of self-destructive behaviors. Let's get at those behaviors, Christian, if you don't mind. I know two of them uh, from firsthand experience are anxiety and depression. Can you please talk about those and some of the other behaviors or the manifestations, I should say, of anxiety and depression or two of those behaviors? Can you talk about other behaviors that can arise from unresolved trauma? Sure. Well, Dr. Levine is absolutely correct. He's accurate on that. Um, and as you see, that some of the things he named, it literally affects pretty much your whole life, right? It affects, you know, holistically everything that goes on with you, you know, um, psychologically, you know, socially, physically, emotionally. So um, he's absolutely accurate on that. And really, depression is really prevalent with those uh, who've experienced trauma because, you know, individuals who have experienced um, traumatic experiences really uh, internalize the event, right? So you have that denial that happens a lot. You know, then now they're internalizing the event and, you know, have subsequently really uh, those negative thoughts about themselves um, or they may general, generalize the event and, and have negative thoughts about the world. So that's where the cycle of how depression can really manifest from, you know, experiencing trauma or, or, or PTSD. Uh, so you have the delay, potential delay, you have the potential denial, and then you have the uh, effects of what's occurred. Uh, uh, over that time of, of being in denial or that delay in understanding uh, that you've been traumatized. And also individuals may also experience avoidance of social situations that may be more related to traumatic symptoms, you know, than a fear of embarrassment. So now you have uh, isolation. Now you're isolating yourself, you know, socially. And anxiety, you know, now we're talking about anxiety, you know, uh, anxiety and avoidance, you know, are very, um, are, are related in a sense. And Connected, you know, uh, within individuals with PTSD, one one of the pillars of treatment in PTSD is to break the cycle of avoidance. So, you know, they may be avoiding certain um, people because maybe they think, oh, they know that I'm, you know, paranoid, so I'm not going to go around people. So now they're isolating. So now there's a level of anxiety or uh, social anxiety or um, social avoidance because of that reason. 
you know, and actually it's naturally reinforcing um, because individuals who avoid anxiety provoking situations or thoughts experience a decrease in anxiety. So you want them to try and get out there and do um, in vivo, which is um, show them up front and put them in that environment and have them confront what's uh, scaring them or what's causing anxiety, but that's one of the treatment methods. But, you know, research has also found a strong link between exposure to traumatic events and substance use disorders too. So um, while mine uh, talks about, you know, their, their research being done up to 50% of adults with both uh, alcohol use and disorders, you know, related to uh, PTSD have one uh, or more other serious psychological or physical conditions, including, you know, those anxiety disorders we talked about mood disorders, diabetes, things of that sort. And also you see individuals in this situation will self-medicate as well. And then you have the high risk individuals who um, people who are more high risk of using because of the PTSD and the delay of understanding their issue and the denial. So these are some of the, um, it's, it's a unperfect storm is you, another way to say it of a situation that could happen when you have um, PTSD and denial and some of these uh, potential substance abuse and the high risk um, uh, components here. I, I want to make sure we're really digging as deeply as we need to on this particular question. Um, Christian, you've touched on so much of what I wanted to get at, avoidance, feelings of detachment, dissociation. Um, can you talk about why those behaviors are so very destructive? I mean, I, I, I know that, or think I know, those can really shut your life down, really. We're not talking about just something there's a casual um, inconvenience or something that might be a little irritating. These are the behaviors that you can settle into as a result of trauma that's not being addressed can really shut you, the walls start to close in and your life can start to shut down. Yes. Oh yeah, ab absolutely. You know, you, you said it great and you described it really well in your explanation and your definition of them, <clears throat> excuse me, but I'll add that uh, many of these things you listed occur due to the person either, daydreaming so they're in a fog or they're in a they're in a gaze or they're having flashbacks you know uh, about the incident or the emotional pain related to trauma so they really become uh detached from the world so they're almost like they're floating through life and and the here and now of living right which is why cheap um treatment methods that help ptsd patients stay in the here and now right and the current time so here and now is really staying in the current time that person with ptsd is living in the past, what happened to them, things of that sort, as a, as a treatment method, you want to get them in that here and now moment, what's going on with them currently, how are they feeling now, um, that strength base, what is going on with you now that's positive, you know, how, how have you thrived, how have you been a resilient person to make it to where you're at now, and it's been, been proven to be effective, and like we go back to one of our original podcasts, the EMDR, which is an eye movement, desensitization and, and reprocessing, you know, um, these are some of the effective uh, modalities that can help you um, when you're experiencing PTSD and trauma and stress. I need to get a T-shirt, Christian, with EMDR on it, because every time you bring it up, I feel like talking about that. And it's such a, for me, a transformative uh, modality. It, I really refer to EMDR as having given me my life back. And I, I got a chance to tell my therapist that, that she literally gave me my life back. That's how I felt. So if, if you're curious about that, go to brotherbewell.com. You can check out that conversation that Christian Jacobs and I had on, on EMDR. Christian, have we touched on all of the unresolved um, uh, behaviors? The, the, uh, have we touched on all the behaviors that stem from unresolved or untreated trauma? Or have, or have, have I missed something? Any, any others that you can think of for someone watching this video? 
I think one um, behavior that I think is very, very important, and it's about relationships, you know, and I bring this up because I think, you know, um, many loved ones are the main culprits of um, the trauma, the secondary trauma they, they experience from someone, from a partner who's been, who's experienced trauma. So the individual who's going through something, usually their spouse or loved ones are suffering too, because they're, they're, you know, uh, they're not receiving some of the attention they, that, that they need, but they know their loved ones going through something. So unhealthy attachment styles and relationships can really manifest. So uh, as a result, this is a really um, uh, concerning behavior. A person who was experiencing trauma is more susceptible to like, isolating from other people and detaching from those loved ones. And, you know, that the trauma can really impact how you attach or bond in relationships. So um, there's the anxious and preoccupied attachment. I'm really talking about attachment styles now. You know, um, there's an anxious and preoccupied attachment style where one doesn't like being without company. You know, they're more drama oriented requires constant validation of, of love and attention to feel secure, almost a way you say needy in a sense, uh, feels more nervous and less secure about romantic relationships. Where are you going? You know, where you been? So now you have that paranoia, you know, that can manifest, you know, through, you know, unresolved trauma. Or you have the dismissive attachment style, right? So where one is more passive, they sit back, you know, they're um, with their partner, but they have commitment issues and they avoid intimacy. So all these things to really, be a, again a unperfect you know um, imperfect disaster uh, for a, a relationship issue and uh, for example if you had par- uh, like parents right who were emotionally distant or physically absent when you were a child and you felt abandoned you know when your spouse comes home uh, late from work you may feel powerless or rejected you know so these are some examples of how you know uh, other behaviors that may manifest uh, through unresolved untreated trauma. I want to get at uh, one of those, uh, another behavior, uh, Christian, if you don't mind. And uh, I've, I've been a little tentative about this one all day, but let's get into it. You mentioned nocturnal enuresis, commonly known as bedwetting during the earlier Brother Be Well podcast. That was called What is Trauma? So check that out if you're interested in it. Some parents who are managing it in their children, as well as other young people themselves, and even adults who are struggling with that behavior may be surprised to learn about the connection between bedwetting and stress and anxiety. I, I'm a little nervous about that. I was that kid. And, and I remember not having any of the connection between what was going on at night and what was going on in my house and even going to a doctor and I was checked out physically. And, and I remember the moment when the doctor said, is there anything going on in Michael's home? And he asked one of my parents that and internally I was going, oh God, please start talking about this but we weren't a family that was ready to address it. And it was years before I figured out there was a connection there. Can you talk about the connection between nocturnal enuresis and stress and anxiety and what it can do to a kid? And even if it's not taken care of, it can carry over into adulthood. Absolutely. And, and, and Michael, you're not the only one, you know, um, it happened with me as well you know, through the age of uh, 13 years old. And, you know, um, this is during a time where my parents didn't have that education, the information of what was going on. And it was related to, you know, anxiety, you know, uh, being anxious. So, you know, and, and I'm just thinking back what happened with me, you know, and how um, uncomfortable and shameful it made me feel because I couldn't spend the night right in someone's house at 13 years old because I was embarrassed. So, you know, you're not you're not the only one in that boat. And now that I understand, you know, you know, it can really be caused by that psychological response to trauma. You know, and, you know, children have that difficulty, like sleeping and um, 
that sleeping and experiencing nightmares, you know, with the anxiety, like I said, and the guilt and shame. So um, this causes really a, a causes really them to, to to develop these defense mechanisms. It's a subconscious defense mechanism, really, what it is, um, which is like regression. So they're regressing back to an early developmental childhood stage, which is bedwetting. So this is all happening subconsciously. It's a it's a it's a matter of a subconscious control, if you may. So there's also a relationship between, you know, sexual trauma, too, you know, which is related to, you know, sex organs and the type of regression in that area. So that's why a lot of social workers, you know, one of their areas, what they do when they're assessing, when they go into a home, they ask that question, you know, um, how often does a child, you know, what the bed? And they have to kind of look at it's, That alone does not uh, merit uh, sexual abuse or neglect. Um, but that can be one of the components. And as a parent, you want to be, you know, patient with your child during this time. You know, and to continue to monitor the behavior as it may go away and not shame them for bedwetting regardless of how old they are. So there's that supportive element, too, that you have to have as a caregiver. I really appreciate you uh, affirming not just my experience, Christian. That's not what this is about. But but there are a lot of people that are watching this video that I have a feeling saw a bit of themselves or their, their son or daughter in that. And it's so great of you to make the connection between the behavior and and the past experience. And again, the not shaming. I, I too remember, you know, not being able to do uh, sleepovers. And then that, just the anxiety about that within, it was like a, a slippery slope. You, it's a, you know, chicken and egg kind of thing. You're, you're already a little anxious. And then the anxiety is heightened by what you think might happen. So thanks for walking us through that. Really do appreciate it. Really do appreciate it. Um, I want to ask this question about um, unresolved trauma. And I, you know, I've learned never to assume that I've got the right answer with you, Kristen. You've taught me so much here on this platform. I think I know the answer to this one, though. Can unresolved trauma result in PTSD? You know, that's, that's really an interesting question because um, it really determines, it really uh, is determined by what the unresolved trauma is. So I'll give you an example. Uh, if you have, um, if if you had an experience that was traumatic, related to, you know, violence or, you know, abuse, things of that sort, and it was unresolved. And maybe, you know, down the road, you know, um, you actually realize that you have uh, PTSD, then yes. So you're looking at a situation where, you know, that that unresolved trauma was initially PTSD. It was just never either recognized or diagnosed, things of that sort. Now we're talking about unresolved trauma in general, such as, you know, say, for example, you know, um, you know, I had some type of uh, issue, you know, with um, speaking in public or at, at school in class. You know, now you're talking about an ACEs score that will be high, but it may not result in having PTSD, which meets all the criteria for PTSD. So the short answer that really depends on what that trauma is, how long it's how prevalent it's been, and if it meets that criteria uh, in the DSM for uh, for PTSD. All right, I thank you for that. And just for the um, uninitiated DSM, can you just tell us what that is? Yes, that's a, a diagnostic a diagnostic statistical manual uh, five, which is basically used for clinicians. Clinicians use to diagnose patients officially, um, and they have to meet all the criteria within that book. So they just can't really make up a diagnosis. You have to meet uh, meet those criteria in the book. Really appreciate that, Christian. Let's talk about what I think anyway is the most pernicious of the behaviors that can come out of unresolved trauma, suicidal thoughts and action actions. It isn't uncommon, I'm told, among people who suffer from PTSD. Can you tell us about suicidal ideation as a byproduct of unresolved trauma? 
Oh, most definitely. And, and I think that's the most, uh, it's probably one of the most serious uh, symptoms of uh, PTSD. And you have to look at what we talked about today, right? We talked about uh, denial, right? We talked about um, delay, right? And, and, and understanding the uh, condition. And these are all things that can be a recipe for someone starting to feel, uh, they can start to feel hopeless, right? They start to feel like there's no way out and there's really not a, um, a symptom um, that can be cured or treated and it, and it keeps happening. So a lot of times that hopelessness and that depression sets in where um, an individual starts looking for a way out. So unresolved trauma, you know, can, um, can, can really, you know, go towards that way where someone starts having suicidal ideations, you know, and there's a difference between suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideations. You know, so when you start having those ideations where you're having the ideas of doing, you know, some harm to yourself, then, you know, that's where um, getting involved with a, a professional, a mental health professional is very important. And also having that person, having that connection with someone uh, who knows what's going on with you is very important because they do go hand in hand. We're going to be exploring suicidal ideation on the Brother Be Well platform. We've got a great personal story, a, a young man that I met years ago, and he's got a heck of a personal story. So we'll be uh, uh, highlighting him on this platform, brotherbewell.com. I want to encourage you before we, we pivot here, if you are uh, thinking of suicide, if it's, if it's coming to mind, if you're starting to develop a plan, We've got it right there on the screen, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, rather, 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. Please call, please text. It's help for you on the other side. So please do that for us. As we get ready to wrap this conversation up, uh, Christian, again, my, my, my question to you, if you've seen any of these videos, you know where I'm going with this, right? What are your tips for someone who thinks they may be dealing with unresolved trauma? Maybe based on this conversation that you stumbled across, or maybe you're having thoughts about it is what led you to click a couple times and check this video out. What would you have to say in terms of tips, Christian, for either that individual or for the caregiver or loved one who is is dealing, managing, helping someone that they believe to be struggling? Well, you know, first, uh, Michael, I think if, you know, for individuals who may be a bit younger, um, who may not be uh, adults and have the, you know, liber uh, liberty of uh, driving or, you know, going places, things of that sort, it's really important that you talk to your caregiver. You know, it's really important that you, you know, reach out to them and find out what, uh, first of all, uh, uh, what's going on and kind of really talk that out and then also see what type of resources are out there if you can receive some type of help um, in that age range, you know, of, you know, uh, being in school age and not really having those resources to independently go out, you know, as uh, what in terms of mental health, um, at the age of 12, you can't consent for yourself. So um, by law, by the age of 12, at the age of 12, you can't consent for treatment. Um, and there's and there's more information on that as well. Um, but if you're interested, you know, you're also looking at the 1-800 numbers that are um, that were provided. Also, look at the uh, the resources in terms of reaching out to that professional as well. Uh, reaching out for adults, you know, reaching out to your health professional to see you know what type of services are out there in terms of group therapy, um, group services, individual therapy as well to really um, be assessed because being assessed is the, is the, is the first step. You really want to find out what's going on and see where you um, where you fit in, in terms of your severity of treatment. And also when you're having those um, uh, severe issues in terms of suicidal ideation, making sure, you know, you know, to call for uh, immediate emergency help. 
Um, usually using that uh, 1-800 number, but in a crisis situation, you want to call 911 uh, at, at all means. So those are some tips that I would uh, really uh, encourage everyone to really look at when they're dealing with unresolved trauma. And also some things you can do for yourself if you're not ready for those type of things is, you know, internally, you know, it's really uh, doing some self-work, you know, in terms of, you know, journaling down your thoughts and seeing, you know, if you could really navigate what's going on in terms of your feelings and emotions. So by the time you meet with a professional, you're able to really share a little bit on um, the work you've done. And it gives them more of a guide to, you know, develop your treatment goals and your your treatment plan because you've kind of done some of that work on your own already. So um, those are some tips I would uh, recommend uh, for any of my clients. That's, po- that's a powerful final tip. You, you said so many powerful things today, Christian. Looking back on my own journey, I did not do some of that pre-work ahead of time. So I had to spend time in a therapist's office, you know, doing something I could have done on my own just because I didn't know that that would be helpful to do that. So that's a great, great tip. Just write your thoughts down, do some journaling. Very, very powerful. Christian Jacobs, marriage and family therapist, brother be well clinical advisor. And I'm proud to say, most proud to say friend of mine. Thank you, Christian, for joining us for this conversation. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And I also can't tell you how quickly I'll be calling you again for another conversation. It was a pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me. Really great to have you. We'll see you soon. And I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this trauma and healing series uh, here at Brother Be Well, Blue Shield of California, and specifically their Blue Sky Initiative. That initiative boosts access to mental health support. Learn all about that fantastic program at bluesky.blueshieldca.com. That's bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Another website that I want to tell you about uh, that, that I want you to remember uh, brotherbewell.com. If you like this video, you want to check out the rest of the trauma and healing series, check it all out at brotherbewell.com. Videos on a variety of other topics, all designed to support the uh, mental health of boys and men of color, 13 and up, African American, Latinx, Asian and Pacific Islander, and Native or Indigenous. It's all right there, brotherbewell.com. We're a membership supported service. So if you can join, that's fantastic. If um, you just like to check out our blog, just give us your email address and a few times, a couple few times a week, you'll get notifications when conversations like this go live. Lots of resources at that website. Check it all out, brotherbewell.com. My name again, Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. And I want to encourage you to please do a couple things for me until I get to see you next time. And I'm looking forward to that already. Take great care of yourself. And we're trying to help you do that. Once you get it down and you, and you think you can, reach out to somebody else and take good care of them too. Until next time, bye-bye. And that wraps up another episode of Brother Be Well. Get ready for text and email alerts on more great things happening later this month. I'm Leon Guidry. Check us out next time for more mental health and wellness inspiration. Until then, stay up, family.